Welcome to Fostering Solutions, a podcast that uplifts people and enterprises making positive impact in communities around the world. I'm your host, Dr. Michelle Foster. My guest today is Terrence, Dr. Terrence Ramon Stewart. Uh, Dr. Stewart, how are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. You're joining me from Georgia uh, today. Um, uh, how, how are you? I know you're from West Virginia. You, how are you liking it there in Georgia? Yeah, so Georgia is by far my second home. Been down here since 2016. Mm-hmm. Uh, not quite West Virginia, but um, definitely have grown to love the Peach State. Awesome, awesome. Now, we met a while ago, and I was trying to remember what year, but these days, time is just flying by so quickly. Um, I was at Kisra, and you were working on your doctorate at Ohio State, and I remember that you offered these uh, to teach some classes for us on building my PC, and we had a number of our workforce development program participants who were, you know, um, ex-offenders or um, single dads and we were really thrilled to have you be a part of our team. So, um, you know, each, each person finishing those classes, they felt so accomplished and so hopeful about their future. But I just, it was, you know, um, great to connect with you way back then. And I've, you know, watched you grow um, so much since then. But uh, tell the audience about yourself. Who yeah, is Harry yeah, and, and so that dates back to 2009, actually. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Yeah, so it, it was just yesterday. It's but um, yeah. as I say all the time, I'm just a poor little country boy from southern West by God, Virginia. Uh, grew up in McDowell County, and as many people know, uh, we went from being a billion-dollar coal field, having that label in little New York, to uh, one of the poorest counties in all of America. Um, born to a single mother who dropped out of high school in the ninth grade, um, but she had to wherewithal to um, go to Bluefield State after she earned her GED, but she had to stop out. And when she stopped back in, she would hitchhike 32 miles in each direction to get to class and back uh, from class. And so, you know, it was neat because I had, had the opportunity to witness her educational journey. However, I had no clue uh, what it meant. And there were times where in the Welch Daily News, a newspaper that I started delivering at 11 years old, the Welch Daily News would have a feature of my mother making the dean's list while I would be making the straight A honor roll. And so those, those humble beginnings in McDowell County, growing up on Welch Hill, really taught me a lot. Uh, I met a gentleman by the name of Ellis Ray Williams, who on October the 16th, uh, will celebrate his 100th year on the face of this earth. And uh, Mr. Williams is a gentleman and a scholar. Um, he taught me the value of hard work, but he also taught me how important it was to never have to do manual labor for another person a day in my life unless I chose to. Mm-hmm. And it was in my times with Mr. Williams that um, I reached the epiphany that I was going to go to college and not only go to college, I was going to finish Um, And I went on to West Virginia University, um, where I had a lot of fun, probably more fun than I should have. (laughs) That's all right. (laughs) We were the number one party school in the nation. I know, for several years. 
we, we still probably are. Um, and I had to do my part to keep that distinction. And, and so it was at that point in time where I got engaged um, in a variety of things, uh, student government, uh, uh, my collegiate fraternity, and, and those experiences really, really helped shape and mold me. Uh, had some tragedies that struck um, right there in my graduate school years, uh, you know, February 2nd, 2002, uh, one of my fraternity brothers was murdered at 7.34 p.m. And that changed a little boy into a man and, and so many others. And then we had another instance or occurrence on July the 18th, 2003. And it was Dr. Irvin V. Griffin Sr. who looked at me and said, I want you out of Morgantown. And so I entered into the professoriate at the ripe age of 24. And I truly only went into the professoriate as a way to get my bearings about me. I, I was an uh, engineer by degree and I heard they made a lot of money. And so it was my aim to go make some of it. And the $34,000 I started out making was not a lot of money. Um, and so I would always supplement my income with various jobs like the ones done at Kisra or Kenna Elementary School, where I work with the, the children of Kenna um, on technology. And so from there, um, I, I thought I would only be in higher education a year, uh, was elected by my peers as the faculty member of the year. And in my second year, I became a faculty senate president on accident. And then that accidentally led to a unanimous reelection uh, to a standing ovation. And so I've been blessed uh, on my journey. And, um, you know, I tell people all the time, the only reason I got a doctorate is because I got tired of correcting people when they would call me Dr. Stewart. And when I went to get my doctorate, um, somebody asked me, what did I want to be? And I said, I'm not for sure, but I want a job that requires me to wear a suit every day and pays me enough to afford to do so. Um, and I was blessed at that time to have studied under Roderick J. McDavis, one of the few African-American presidents at a Research One institution when I did my doctorate at Ohio University. And um, I met Brian Hemphill, who definitely is a star in higher ed. And I came back to West Virginia State with him in 2012. And it's kind of funny the trajectory he and I have followed when he left West Virginia State in 2016 for Radford, I left West Virginia State for Fort Valley State where I became the provost in 2016. And then when he left Radford in 2021 to be the president of Old Dominion University, I left Fort Valley State University to become the president of Clayton State University. Yeah. Uh, and so definitely been blessed to be carried around on the shoulders of giants. Uh, they've placed my feet on solid ground and, and I've been able to run a marathon without ever getting tired. And so that's a little bit about me. All righty. So now you're the president of Clayton State. Give the audience a feel for your university. You know, where, where are you located, enrollment, things like that. Yeah, so Clayton State University was founded just 52 years ago, uh, founded as a two-year institution and, and Clayton County, which is right outside of a lot of people are familiar with Fulton County. Mm -hmm. And the reason people are familiar with Fulton County is because that's where Atlanta, Georgia is. Huh. Atlanta is not the state. Georgia is the state. <laughs> 
And hot so, Lanta, right? Hot Lanta. Yeah. So we are about 15 minutes from downtown Atlanta, uh, less than 10 minutes from Hartsfield-Jackson Airport, where, believe it or not, 80% of Hartsfield-Jackson or Atlanta Airport is actually in Clayton County. Uh, we've had a rich history. We're one of 26 institutions that comprise the University System of Georgia. University System of Georgia is broken down into research universities, comprehensive state universities and state colleges. We are one of about seven state universities where we have a cadre of degree programs uh, that range from certificates all the way up to master's degrees. Uh, we just actually got approval to launch a new master's degree last week. We got approval to launch a new master's degree in cybersecurity. And so we continue to offer those. Uh, we have about 6,850 students. Uh, what's neat about that is 62% of the students of Clayton State University are African-American. Wow. Uh, we a nice contingent of Asian American uh, students because there's a, a large Vietnamese population. And so we are a very diverse campus, so much so the state of Georgia has 11 historical back colleges and universities. Of the 11, only Albany State University educates more black students than we do at Clayton State. Cause yeah, I was gonna ask you, so, so you're not officially an HBCU, but you're an HBCU. It's no, we, no. And, and, and it's important that we, we make sure to make those distinctions. Uh, the HBCUs, the 104 of them that still exist at this particular juncture, um, those were the way the institutions were founded. Mm -hmm. Given that we were not founded that way, we do have a minority serving institution distinction okay. as what we call a PBI or primarily uh, or predominantly black institution. Okay, I haven't heard of that. That's interesting. Yeah. Okay. So that, yeah, so you, you'll have um, institutions, you may be familiar with Medgar Evers. Uh-huh, in New York. They're a, yes. they're a PBI. Mm -hmm. Probably a lot of the city university system, because for undergrad, I went to City College of New York, which is a part of that same city university system that Medgar is a part of, so, yeah. You've started to describe your career trajectory. Um, were there any hurdles you had to overcome on your way, you know, up the ladder to where you are now? Yeah, you know, um, I've been blessed to climb um, and I've been blessed to climb at an early age. Um, and so one of the things that you get quite often, you, you always talk about isms and you'll hear of uh, sexism and racism and you'll even hear of ageism. Ageism, that's right. But you typically don't think of ageism in terms of what that does to quote unquote younger people. Mm -hmm. uh, people might mostly think about ageism in, in the realm of uh, something being done to a more seasoned person um, mm -hmm. that it, it has more years on this earth than, than me. So you have that. And then you also have the, the notion of uh, this concept, wait your turn. Um, there are, are a lot of times where people believe that, you know, because someone else was ahead of you or they should get their shot. And so it really requires you to remain humble uh, while you're still being hungry, uh, but you run into those nuances. And then again, you run into some situations where 
you believe that you should have been or could have been, but then you're overlooked for one reason or the other. And, and so uh, you definitely have some, some bumps along the way, but I think looking back, uh, my good days outweigh my bad days. So I better not complain. Yeah, I won't complain. That's right. That's right. So this series that I'm doing is about leadership. And I, you know, some, some say, oh, you're a born leader. I believe lo- leaders are, aren't necessarily born, they're, they're made. And it's about, you know, certain skills and attitudes and behaviors that uh, we can all learn. So what did you have to learn when it comes to certain attitudes, behavior, skills? What did you have to learn to achieve the success that you have so far? Yeah, and, and I can even look at where I was when I became the provost at Fort Valley State University in 2016 versus who, where I am uh, being the provost of, I mean, the president of Clayton State University in 2021. First and foremost, I think leaders have to know who they are mm-hmm. and you have to know whose you are. Mm-hmm. And I think when you know um, who you are and whose you are, you know, I th- you asked about my background. Those are things that shape me into the person I am today. Mm-hmm. Uh, the humble beginnings in McDowell County taught you how to treat people because mm-hmm. you couldn't act as though you were better than anyone because everybody was trying to make a dollar out of 15 cents. Mm-hmm. And so you learn some things along the way. And when you know who you are, you understand that, uh, as, as Luke once reminded us, that to whom much is given, much is expected. Mm-hmm. And if you go into leadership with a servant attitude, if you put um, others or service over self, mm-hmm. what you will find is that that's where I do think the leadership things are semi-natural mm-hmm. because all you're doing is trying to make sure that everyone is a little bit better tomorrow than we are today. Right. But do believe as you make that journey, and I even look at my difference between 2016 and 2021, you start to do what I call um, engage in what I call the karate kid effect. Mm-hmm. And when you think about it, Mr. Miyagi and, and Daniel's son and the karate kid, Mr. Miyagi would have him waxing on and waxing off or painting the fence. And Daniel's son thought he was doing a bunch of manual labor for nothing. Mm-hmm. But the reality was he was creating a fighter. And I think as leaders, what we do through our experiences, when we know who we are and whose we are, our experience allow us to wax on and wax off or paint the fence. And what it's doing is continuously polishing us mm-hmm. in a manner that allows us to be not only a servant leader, but to be decisive, to be reflective, to, to understand, to have that compassion and to ultimately want to help everybody be better tomorrow than they are today. And so I think that's where that organic growth and development comes Mm -hmm. so that one day you look up and you're bestowed a title like president of Clayton State University and you're like, wow, that's beneath my name. How important is vision to you as a leader? Yeah. Um, you know, without a vision, people will perish. Mm-hmm. Okay. And um, again, when you understand who you are and whose you are, 
and you committed to, to selfless leadership and service that helps other people, um, what happens is you know you have to get people to buy into something. You have to have a rallying cry. And through those, the, that rally or, or through that buy-in, that affords you the opportunity to encourage people to move beyond the present and think about what's next. And so having a roadmap, I, I tell people all the time, you ask about Atlanta, you will never get to Atlanta if you envision going to Miami. You just will not get there because you're going in opposite direction. And so while we may get there in so many different ways, the reality becomes you have to have an idea of the uh, Stephen Covey principle of starting with the end in mind. Mm -hmm. You have to have an idea or a vision of where you want to go if you want to envision how to get there. Mm, That's good. You have to have a vision if you want to envision, that's right. So what do you, like, what do you have in your vision for Clayton State? You're a brand new president there. Like what, where do you see that university growing? Yeah, so it's, it's interesting because when I arrived on July 1, I said to my cabinet, extended cabinet, direct reports, I know enough about the institution that, to know that I do not know enough about the institution. Mm -hmm. And so today is my 76th day as the president of Clayton State University. Mm -hmm. Again, 52 years old, a fifth president, first African-American president. I'm going in trying to remember why I was blessed with two ears and only one mouth. And so I'm trying to listen twice as much Mm -hmm. as I speak. And I created a transition team to map out my first 100 days as the president And so I've embarked on that again. We're day 76. And ironically, yesterday was the last of my listening sessions uh, for all internal uh, constituents. And then I still have a plethora of external. I say all of that to say what I'm trying to do is see where the reoccurring themes are. Mm-hmm. And then utilizing the feedback of the people, the people who walked a mile in the shoes of the institution, who've been down in the trenches to create that vision. Because, again, I know they can envision the destination that we need to go to because they help identify where the challenges are. And more importantly, I believe they'll buy into the opportunities. And so when I look at my vision, the first thing is, is what we've already done, making sure that everybody is at the table. Mm -hmm. And then once we go through there, making sure that we provide a platform by which we can talk with each other and not to each other. Mm -hmm. Because right now, if you look at whether it's politics or you see some of the other antics that play out, People are always pointing their finger, telling somebody what they're going to do, but they're not opening their hands or opening their hearts and saying, what can we do? How can we work individually and collectively to move together in a a concerted manner that is for the betterment of not only self, but everyone else too? Awesome. Awesome. That seems to kind of tie into your leadership style. How would you describe your leadership style? 
Yeah, so it, it, ironically, um, I, my my dissertation looked at uh, leadership styles and used Bowman and Dio's framework um, to go through and do that. Uh, the leadership style varies. Um, and I think most good leaders will understand that no one size fits all. Mm-hmm. Um, I, by far, uh, one of the things I start out every day is I look at my institution and I see who has a birthday that day. And I send a, a personalized message on that individual's birthday. And, and you know, you go through and, and you start out always appreciating people. And especially if I can appreciate you during the, the good times, you'll work with me during the challenging times. Mm-hmm. And then trying to get people in the room, making sure that you surround yourself with people who are smarter than you and be willing to get the heck out of the way. (laughs) Let them do their thing. Yeah. I found that those types of things really empower people and empowered people are innovative people and innovative people get so creative that, as I said, you know, you, you make a dollar out of 15 cent with just Mm -hmm, a dime. mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Awesome. Awesome. Um, as a person who started off in STEM, I, I think my STEM background really kind of helps me to think differently when I approach uh, challenges. How do you think your, your STEM background has, has prepared you for higher ed leadership? Yeah, I, I, you know, the, the intriguing thing in going through engineering school and, and looking at some of the things, one of the things you're taught is how to solve problems Mm -hmm. and how to think in a critical, logical manner Mm -hmm. in an efficient and effective way that you can identify variables, understand how to manipulate those variables to absolutely try to predict the desired outcome. Mm -hmm. And so when you think about it, that STEM background really helps tremendously because people are variable. And as a leader, your biggest thing is trying to help people be the best they can be, even in spite of themselves in right. some. And so I think that that way uh, and, and that problem solving, and, and I say this all the time to my team, you know, I don't believe in problems. I think there are challenges yeah. that we have the war with all to address mm-hmm. to prevent things from becoming a problem. Mm-hmm. And that engineering, not only does it teach you to understand systems and, and the overall how the individual part contributes to the whole, it also makes you realize that you can tweak this to get a little bit of that. And so I think that engineering background, the way you, you, you learn, you build the confidence, you learn how to parse through a situation and then you're confident that the direction you say we're going is one that will get us, not the right one, not the wrong one, but one that will get us from point A to point Z mm-hmm. in a manner that is safe, in a manner that operates with integrity, and in a manner that will elevate everybody that came along for the journey. That's, that is so true. So true. So it seems like you're, you're really good at coaching your team from what I'm, what I'm picking up. Did you receive coaching as you, um, on your journey to where you are now? What coaching did you receive and how did it impact your career? Yeah, and, and, and you know, I know there is uh, official delineation between mentoring and coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, dating back to Ellis Ray Williams that, that turns 100, 
his mentorship as a little boy growing up in McDowell County was tremendous, um, you know. And so as you look at that and then coming through and again, I've been carried around on the shoulders of giants throughout my career. But two years ago, I was uh, as part of my growth at my old institution, Fort Valley State University, uh, the president, Paul Jones, said to me, I'm going to give you an opportunity to have an executive coach. And in that, it was kind of neat. My executive coach, a gentleman by the name of Mickey Burnham, uh, Mickey started off as the chancellor slash president of Elizabeth City University. Then he went from Elizabeth City to be the president of Bowie State University. Mm -hmm. And then Mickey has been the interim president of both University of Maryland Eastern Shore and of Coppin State University. And so uh, what I learned from, uh, from Mickey and, and uh, or Dr. Burnham was tremendous. And then I'm, I'm blessed to now for the University System of Georgia, um, the um, executive coach, my executive coach is Mark Becker. Um, and so Mark Becker is the president, former president of Georgia State University, one of the largest institutions in America. And he is world-renowned for the work that they did on student success. And the neatest thing about it, um, with as many students as they have, and many students of color, they went through and, and used data analytics to close the achievement gap awesome. that typically exists in higher education between minorities and white students. And so I've been blessed um, to, to really, really have people that um, understand me probably better than I understand myself. That is wonderful to have that opportunity. Yeah. So you, you mentioned that you, I didn't realize that your dissertation was on leadership. So what, what are keys to leadership that you have found to be effective? Yeah, I, I, I believe one thing that leaders fail to do sometimes because this term micromanage or, or, or so, I think they fail sometimes to know their organization. Mm. I believe you know, need to know where the bodies are buried and I believe you need to know the hands that were on the shovels that buried them. Mm -hmm. uh, so I, I think knowing your organization, under, trying to get an understanding or, of the culture of the organization, both respecting it, but also being willing to be disruptive to it mm -hmm. if it's an impediment to growth and and. And, and overall direction of the institution. I believe communication is very, very key. Um, mm -hmm. If you do not tell your own story, somebody will make it up for you. Uh, you know, you look at transparency, you look at integrity, but then you also look at this notion that water conforms to its own container. Mm -hmm. So you must be that vessel upon which is shaped and then the various entities or constituents of, of your organization or institution, they are willingly pouring themselves into your container because they want to be shaped and molded in the way that you vision or envision them to go. Mm -hmm. Awesome. So what do you, as we wind down the interview, what do you know now that you wish you knew when you first start, started your higher ed career? I would say this is one of those things where everybody should know. 
um, you're never going to get all the credit that you think you deserve. Mm. And the quicker you do that, and I think that's about the growth and maturation of knowing who you are and whose you are, Mm -hmm. the quicker you understand that you're never going to get what you think you deserve, especially when you think you deserve it. Mm -hmm. If I were to start with my, you know, younger self, I would, I would really, really hone in on making sure I understood that sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. Do you want to give an example of why do you think that's an important key? I mean, why you think that's, um, that's something you wish you knew earlier on? Yeah. And, and I, I, I see it a lot in people that I work with and mentor and everything. I'll see somebody that is getting a master's degree and they'll tell me that they want to be a president of a university. Um, and really, as you look at what they're doing, they're probably not going in the right direction. Um, but it's hard for them to see that maybe there's another direction because they're so fixated on the end or the title. And then they go through and I always ask people about the two C's. Are you doing things for compliance or are you doing things out of commitment? Mm -hmm. And so when you see people that are being what I deem inorganic about that growth and inorganic about that development, they are simply trying to be compliant or checking boxes. And I think as you go further in your career, as you focus on checking boxes, your authentic self is difficult to shine through. And I believe at the end of the day, uh, that creates holes in your armor that people can easily see through and that they will exploit. Yeah, that compliance, it sounds, that almost sounds like, are you just being status quo? You're just doing like the bare the bare minimum to get by. So in this world, it's, there's just so much we're dealing with in, you know, in our country and in our, in our families and our community. As you look to the future, what gives you hope? What gives you hope? Yeah. And, and I think it's just a matter of, we've always found a way to make a way out of no way. Mm. Uh, we are a people with challenges but there is no challenge before us that we do not have the opportunity to solve. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Again, I talk about working with people, uh, communicating with people, not telling or talking to them. I think we have a unique opportunity. And I say this all the time. My ultimate goal is to leave this world just a little bit better than what I found. Mm -hmm. And I believe that we can, again, individually and collectively strive to achieve a goal of that nature, then we will leave a better place and a better space for those who come behind us. Absolutely. If we can all commit to doing that, just to do a little, to leave the world a better place. Thanks so much for making time to to chat with me today, Terrence. Um, Any parting words you'd like to share? Well, no, I I thank you so much um, for having me here. Um, You know, I've been blessed along my journey in life by so many people. Uh, I appreciate uh, the seeds that you have sowed. Uh, I learned a lot about international education. Oh, yeah. uh, You know, Guyana and, and just 
even learning more about uh, things in West Virginia and service at the public library system. And, and you know, I, I just appreciate what individuals like yourself have done for me. Um, I try to, in turn, try to do some things for other people. And I believe if we all continue to try to help someone else be a little bit better, we in turn are going to be better ourselves. And so thank you for, for your support. Thank you for your vision and your podcast and, and spreading the word. And, and just thank you for allowing me the opportunity to talk a little bit about myself and, and who I am. And, 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 you know, hopefully you can see whose I am um, because it's through your deeds, not your words that really speak to the person you are. And yeah, and I hope, you know, those listening today will be inspired, especially our young people, just be inspired by someone like Terrence, who has just, you know, humble beginnings, but has been used um, by God for great things. So thank you so much and say hello to your family. All right. Well, dude, be good, be safe okay. and be blessed as you continue to be a blessing to others. All righty. Thank you, Doc. Bye.